Welcome to the Dimensions book series by K. Arwen. An extraordinary tale of an inner journey and a battle of good against evil. In this podcast, the heroine Kaya tells her own story from book one, The Awakening. Our journey begins on the Scottish Isle of Skye. Parallel realities interconnect and interweave. Step in and enter Dimensions. So here I am standing outside Wilma's cottage and looking at this spaceship, for heaven's sake, hovering above the house. I find myself just staring at it, waiting, although I'm not quite sure what I'm waiting for. It's funny, I feel like there's some body in the spaceship, watching me waiting as well. There's a flare of blue light from the bottom of the saucer that appears to stretch out onto the gravel in front of me. And as the light fades, I'm aware of a a humanoid form standing in, in front of me. I kind of know it's a he. And what's more, he seems to know me. Kaya! The being grins and takes a step nearer. Do I know you? I say hesitantly, desperately battling my mind, which is trying to tell me to be afraid or shocked. Anything other than accept this as being normal. I look at the figure before me more intently. He's a similar size to me, but much more slender. His long, thin body is almost bean-like, and yet he's got tremendous muscle definition. He reminds me of some kind of strange Olympian athlete. He certainly would, in, in all likelihood, win any event. He's got an oval-shaped head in which are set large eyes, and these eyes are regarding me now. Black depths like a bottomless pit with no glint of light, and yet they've got no trace of malice. being blinks and and then blinks again with two sets of eyelids almost lizard-like you done he says done with what scanning me he smiles it's a bit like being scanned by a dolphin you don't remember me do you um i don't think we've met before i reply somewhat surprised oh come now surely you remember let me help you He takes a step nearer and, standing by me, places his hand across my forehead. 
I'm aware of a heat and then a tingling sensation as though a veil of forgetfulness has lifted. The walls of what's around me seem to melt away and I become aware of a a garden and a garden pond as real as though it was yesterday and yet I know I'm seeing my past through some kind of dimensional doorway. It's as though the scene around me is actually happening now. Mummy! comes a cry as I see myself, aged three, running round the edge of a pond. Flowers! Stay away from the edge, comes the warning. Pretty flowers! My three-year-old self leans across the pond in an attempt to touch the water lilies. My little fingers straining to reach the nearest flower. Just a little bit more. And then splash and a gasp as my three-year-old self hits the water. As I watch, I remember how I'd felt the shock, the water in my ears and the moment of panic and the pain in my chest as I tried to breathe but only inhaled water. And then I I remember seeing the fish, the dark-eyed goldfish that had swum towards me, somehow seeming to be overly large. And as it drew nearer, its fins became hands that reached out for me and Its tail had reformed into webbed feet. I remember everything. I remember I continued to watch the fish as it grabbed me and carried me to the surface where it did some kind of healing and then looked into my eyes and seemed to drink away my pain, taking away my fear. Then it had dived back into the pond and disappeared. Kaya, I heard a splash. Did you fall in? My mother said. Uh, Yes, but the goldfish saved me. It's wrong to make up tales, came the reprimand. I remember how I'd stared back into the pond, but, but nothing. The goldfish were clearly visible, small little golden fish swimming at the edge of the water. There was no sign of the other fish. I watch my three-year-old self looking puzzled, standing by the pond, and then the vision dies away and the portal closes, and the being in front of me takes his hand away from my forehead. That was you, I exclaim, remembering, but you were golden. I look at the silver-blue form in front of me, and he laughs. Metamorphous at your service as ever, he says, mockingly bowing. I can be any colour I choose to be, but I prefer blue. Metamorphous, I repeat the name. It's familiar, but try as I might, I can't remember where I originally know this being from. He grins. It's all right, it'll come back right and proper. Now that you've stepped into your true self, everything's going to come back. Pretty soon, I reckon. I can't help but groan. Step into my true self. All I know is that I appear to be stepping out of normality through some kind of portals and into zany paradigms where an evil force is seeking to manipulate mankind. Yep, that about sums it up, Metamorphosis replies, still grinning. You always did attract trouble. What do you mean? I reply. You're not exactly from here, Metamorphosis begins. At least, you didn't originate here. You, you chose to take on a human lifeline 
And so you've had to evolve through it in order to awaken to who you really are. And that's what's happening now. There wouldn't be so much pressure for you to hurry up and get on with it, save for the fact that the Matrix Lord is seeking to take over humanity before you fully awaken. I let out a deep breath, struggling to keep up and not wholly understanding the implication of what Metamorphosis is saying. Matrix Lord, what are you on about? I ask. And what do you mean before I fully awaken? I don't think I really want to know the answer. Because, Metamorphosis replies, you're the one destined to stop him. Me? I exclaim. Uh, Yeah, it's your destiny, comes the reply. I've only just started to wake up to the idea of multi-dimensions and now suddenly it's my destiny to stop this matrix lord from taking humanity and these dimensions over. Yes, says Metamorphos. I know it's a lot to take in, but feel it in your heart, Kaya. You know it's the truth. There's a prophecy and you're in it. You're the one destined to challenge the Matrix Lord. I stagger and regard Metamorphos as he blinks with his strained eyelids. He didn't or doesn't look like the sort of being who would turn up outside your house just for a joke. I sigh. Deep inside I can feel this energy pulsing through my body And I know what he's saying is the truth. But then what the hell am I supposed to do? How can I be anything other than human? I say in a last attempt at denial. I can't tell you, but I can help. This is your unfoldment and and your journey. It's a free will universe. All I know is you've got to accept it and step into your destiny, Metamorphosis replies. Well, how exactly do I do that? Awareness is everything. Awareness means acknowledging, firstly, that the way forward is there and then owning responsibility for yourself. You can step forward, set your golden anchor onto the place that you desire to reach. Hmm. So me getting out of the restrictive relationship and taking back my power is all part of this reawakening process. Well, that makes sense. So I kind of set my golden anchor and came to Sky. And then I discover that, well, I've lived here before and that I was Meg in the 18th century. So now I can set my golden anchor again to a future time where I've fully awoken to all that I am. Exactly, Metamorphos exclaims. When you reach one anchor point, the light can shine further ahead and you see that there's more to achieve and attain. But this is the nature of universal energy. It expands. It doesn't want to be stagnant or contract. But the thing is, you have to realise this. And when you arrive at your set golden anchor, one stage at a time, then you expand into the next one. No shortcuts, just a natural flow. So I've got to keep moving forward and let life take the lead. Well, I guess I can do that. Metamorphosis smiles. Yes, your destiny will unfold. 
You don't have to try and be it, but allow yourself to be it. Let go of all your restrictions and allow the flow. That's all you have to do. Except for the small fact I haven't got much time because of this matrix lord. No pressure then. So, I say to, I say to metamorphosis, that being I saw in the forest, what was that? Metamorphosis' face looks bleak. A cube collector. A cube collector? Cybernetic, unified, biochemically engineered. Cube, metamorphosis says, emphasising the word. Essentially, they make themselves. Why collector? I ask hesitantly. Organic fuel and oil. They don't eat, but they need organic fuel to make themselves and to run their city. They ran out of fossil fuels a long time ago and now they've progressed to organic oil which they harvest from different life forms. They also experiment, cross-sectioning different species to mix their oils. They're not exactly beings that you want to get mixed up with, to be honest, Metamorphosis says. And yet I appear to be mixed up with them already, I reply. They're mercenaries, Metamorphosis continues. They offer their services to the highest bidder, Let's just say the Matrix Lord finds these services very useful. So what do you think they were doing in the forest? Metamorphous looks thoughtful. I'm not sure. It could have something to do with the Shadow Men. You've noticed that they suddenly appear to be in the modern day more often. I nod. Well, let's just hope that's what they were doing then, Metamorphosis continues. The other alternative doesn't really bear thinking about. Well, what's that? I ask. He looks serious. That would be that the Matrix Lord has got wind of you being on the scene and has got the Cube Collective involved in tracking you. I suddenly feel very weak and go pale. I'm not sure that is the case, he says encouragingly, but I'll be around to keep my eye on you from now on, I promise. He pauses for a moment. One thing though, Kaya, you've been through portals and have figured out that you can open and close them, right? Well, yeah, I nod, but that's more of an accident. Well, nothing's by chance, you remember that. What you sense about multidimension and what Jim senses about multidimensions is all true. And one more thing, drawing energy symbols. It's one of the things that you excel at. Metamorphos holds his hand up in a gesture of farewell and there's another flare of light and he disappears. I look up at the small saucer and kind of instinctively wave goodbye and then returning to the house and closing the front door. I rub my hands over my face. Is this all part of a dream? I enter the kitchen and splash cold water on my skin to see if it would wake me up, and I take in a sharp in-breath as the ice-cold water hits my face. No, I'm very much awake. Well, now that I am, 
I know that sleep's going to be impossible. I walk into the lounge and restore the fire until it's burning brightly again. The warmth soon fills the room and I feel more relaxed. Fetching my laptop, I open it and set about finishing my past life article. One thing is for sure, the discovery of Meg's diary and my affinity with Meg's story has definitely woken up my consciousness. I can feel the truth of what Metamorphosis has just said. I know that I was Meg. And it makes sense then, me being pulled to Sky and finding the diary and being able to read it even though it's in a language that I've never studied. Hmm. One thing's for certain, Lane is certainly going to be impressed. It makes for a great ending to a, an article on past life to have actually uncovered my own. I awake the next morning feeling groggy after having spent most of the night writing. And so I decide to walk across the moor to a hidden swim spot that Wilmers told me about. I find myself bog hopping across a swamp, teetering over the cracked ground, which has the appearance of mini islands surrounded by deep wells of mud and slosh. It's kind of like a natural obstacle course, and it totally appeals to my inner child. And it's kind of a game to see if I can actually stand on these islands of ground without losing a boot or sinking up to my knees in the mud. I duly arrive at the river. At the corner of a field, the river sort of turns gently and forms this natural pool. And it's as pretty as Wilma said it would be. A sunken paradise surrounded by wildflowers. Empty save for a few frogs, water boatmen and the occasional water vole. I tie the dogs to a gorse bush to stop them from having too healthy an attachment to the sheep that are in the nearby field. And then getting undressed I step into the cold water as it bubbles over the rocks. What a way to begin the day, I reflect as I sit on a rock up to my neck in gurgling water. Having a natural spa massage and watching the tiny bubbles dancing across the water in front of me. <laughs> dancing. I find myself drifting back to a memory of dancing. For me, dancing had always been about ballet. As a child, I'd always wanted to learn, but, well, I never got the chance. I'd even told myself as a kid that if past life and reincarnation was real, then when I came back, I was going to be a ballet dancer. <laughs> Some years after, I'd learned Asian dancing or belly dancing. And one day, a young girl came to the class with her mum and was going on to a ballet class afterwards and she had her point shoes with her. Gosh, how I wanted those point shoes to be mine. And I found myself asking for the dance school's number. The girl's mum had said, well, the school doesn't teach adults. But I couldn't help myself and rang the number anyway. And I'd been told very politely that the school didn't run adult classes. But my response, rather than to put the phone down, had been to say, well, 
I don't want adult classes. I want to learn the whole syllabus starting from the bottom. I'm happy to join the four-year-olds. To which the response was silence. And then came the reply. Well, what are you going to wear? Well, what do the other girls wear? What's required? Black or blue leotard, pink tights and pink ballet shoes. Okay, where do I get those from? More silence. And then I was told that if I did get the required items, I could try a class the following Wednesday. Actually, two classes, a grade four class and a further advanced class with two girls who were doing their foundation level. Well, I remember I put the phone down and swirled around the room and that began my ballet adventure. Nine years of it. I danced my socks off from that first class where I danced with the four and five-year-olds towering above them to the final day when I was doing pirouettes on point. I had danced and danced and practiced nine hours a week. I had broken toes, cursed double pirouettes, but had felt like I was flying. (laughs) I watch a electric drew blue dragonfly land on the bank nearby and smile as I get out of the water. It's just what metamorphosis had meant about golden anchors. You set them and then when you get there, you set them someplace else. Strange, really, because I did all that ballet and then I set my golden anchor and it drifted into the past, just like the water drifts down a river. Well, anyway, I take a deep breath and take in the energy in the air of the morning and it's funny I feel as though my energy and senses have expanded from being in the water I'm suddenly aware of how noisy everything is I can even hear the insects in the grass and the sound of the breeze as it moves around my body and my sense of smell I can smell the earth and the flowers and even the smell from the water everything is brighter I smile and slowly moving my hands, I I draw the symbol in the air that opens a portal. And immediately, the air in front of me takes on a mirage effect and a portal opens. I stare at it. Well, it's one thing to open one, but where does this one go to? Hmm, I dress and pause for a moment and I glance at my dogs. And then curiosity getting the better of me. I step through it. Somewhat tentatively, because given past experience, I don't really particularly want to barge in on a situation that could prove threatening or dangerous. As it was, my caution is justified. The world goes black. No stretching or tingling this time, just a numb black void. And I find myself in a barren landscape near to the bottom of an enormous monolith structure. I walk towards it slowly, keeping to the cover of the craggy rocks that surround it. A spotlight suddenly flashes on and illuminates the area near the bottom, and a doorway opens. 
I become aware of a military-style vehicle approaching and it passes through the doorway. I recognise it instantly. It's similar to the ones that I'd seen by the fallen airship. I feel a repulsion and I focus on my breathing and tell myself to stay calm. Then keeping low to the ground, I follow the vehicle into the monolith. Hiding behind some metal crates as three men step out from the vehicle. Inside this monolith, it's got like a, the appearance of a large aircraft hangar with a strip of bread, red, bright red lights that go down the centre of the roof. The men are muttering to each other and luckily for me, they're too engrossed in their conversation to notice that I'm here. The hangar door slides shut and then, much to my shock, the entire hangar seems to slip downwards like an enormous lift. I keep motionless as the hangar slides downwards silently and effortlessly. The men are unperturbed. Clearly, they're no novices. They begin to raise their voices in disagreement about something and I can just about make out what they're saying. I tell you we need more time. We have none. We have to strike now whilst mankind is at its weakest. The Matrix Lord has given the order. The groundwork's been done. The great dragon is losing his power and the energy ley lines are weakening nothing can stop the matrix lord now well i disagree the dragon may be weakening but not enough experiments have shown that the skinwalker parasite will not survive on earth unless the dragon and the ley lines are completely broken well if that's the case you can be the one to tell the matrix lord The room comes to a standstill and the wall slides back like another doorway and the entire hangar, in effect, becomes an extension of the room beyond. It's full of strange machinery and craft with people working in what's like a death-like silence. The three men make their way into this room and I gasp as I recognise Regales standing with some sort of technician nearby wearing a white laboratory coat. My flesh creeps and a cold sweat of fear threatens to overcome me as my pulse begins to raise. Breathe, I tell myself. Just breathe. And I creep nearer to hear what the technician is saying. Sir, I have reinserted the crystal like you asked and checked all the systems, but it still isn't working correctly. I don't want excuses. I want it working. Regardless replies, turning away from the technician by way of dismissal. The technician stands for a moment, looking at Regardless's back, as though deciding whether to say something else. But he decides against it and walks away, leaving Regardless to address the three men who have just entered. Well, we're ready to strike, one of the men replies. The ley lines no longer contain enough energy to resist the parasite. Humanity will fall. Another man approaches the group. I sense a conflict of thought, this man says, staring at the other three. The man who had reservations shuffles his feet and tries to avoid Grisilior's gaze. We can make this easy or we can make this difficult, but either way I will have the truth, Grisilior says, his voice low and dangerous. 
We need more time, sir, the man said eventually. We need more devices from the Cube Collective in order to break the dragon. He's too strong. Is that the message from Agurikus? Grisilio asks. Uh, no, he didn't say that. It's just... Then I think perhaps you need more motivation, Grisilio responds. I watch as his body becomes rigid, as though in frozen animation. And then, to my horror, there's a tearing noise as Grisilio's face splits in two and begins to peel away like a banana skin. The split continues down the entire length of his body and as I watch in horror, it falls to the floor like a piece of discarded rag. It's the first time I've seen a skinwalker in its true form and I want to be sick. The gnarled humanoid form looks like it's made from black fungi. It reaches out with its long tentacle limbs and and engulfs the man who'd spoken. For a moment, the man disappears and then slowly begins to reform. Until in the blink of an eye, it's though he's standing there alive and well again. Grisilio gives a cough and stretches out his arms as though acclimatising to this new skin. And looks at the other two men maliciously. Now break the dragon, else the next skin that I choose to wear will be one of yours. The men nod and walk away, looking decidedly pale. You always like the dramatics, Grisilior, Regalis says with a wry smile. I need to motivate the technician, Grisilior replies, but I've just eaten. I watch as the two skinwalkers walk away and follow them across the room, ducking in between machinery so I'm not seen. They stop in front of a large piece of equipment that consists of a silver-white cylinder topped with a metallic blue-looking dome. And this glows and pulsates in steady rhythm. Grisilior runs his hand across the nearby cylinder. And the blue dome at the top begins to hum and a rush of static-like electricity fills the air. It's stifling and the air becomes heavy and I find it hard to breathe. It's like trying to breathe in hot sludge. Regardless indicates... A different cylinder and stepping towards it opens another control panel in the same way. This contains a panel of lights and what look like to be test tube gauges. As I watch, the blue lights illuminate one gauge, going up in increments. And when it's full, Regalis holds his hand over a spherical button and the air begins to change again. I clutch my throat, feeling like I'm going to gag. The air feels like razor blades now, and each time I breathe in, it's though my lungs are being lacerated. I can even taste and feel blood in my mouth. It looks to be working fine to me, regardless, says, to the technician who's standing nearby. Yes, until the spore ratio is increased, the technician replies. When the crystal shuts down, then... It doesn't have enough power to transmit the required level, like I've said. Kaya, I find myself looking up to the top of the dome and recognise the crystal. It's the same one that I'd seen in the spaceship. The effort of breathing now is becoming too, too much and I find my body convulsing with the effort and the skinwalkers look in my direction. We're not alone, 
Rosilio says. I place my hand on my mouth and hold my breath, trying not to retch. So is this what the fate of mankind is to be? I focus on my breathing and think of metamorphosis. I have to believe him that I've got the answers within me to face this. And I'm suddenly overcome with a determined resolution not to fail. This feels like a wave of courage that's washing through my body. And it's funny, looking at my hands now, they start to glow with a blue-white light. I instinctively place them back on my throat and instantly feel a wave of relief flooding through me. It seems to be enough to deter the skinwalkers. They look confused for a moment and turn away. I must have been mistaken, Grisilior says, as though he can no longer sense me. He turns back to the technician. The Matrix Lord is wanting a progress report. Shall I tell him that you'll address this issue and come up with a solution, or shall I inform him that you have failed? The technician mutters something and, turning to a nearby computer, begins to study screens of data. The two skinwalkers move away. My hands are, are still glowing blue as I take them away from my throat and I glance up to the crystal instinctively at the top of the dome and to my surprise I can see it's responding, glowing with the same blue light. I gasp as the light begins to shine out across the roof of the hangar and the technician notices and looks up in shock as the computer begins to spit out data on the sudden energy surge and then he catches sight of me. Hey! I make my retreat, scurrying across to the lift section of the hangar, managing to slip inside as the wall panel slides shut. It slowly goes to the surface and opening, it allows me to race across and sprint to the rocks and the portal. The portal's gone, but I know the symbol, so I quickly draw it and then, leaping through, close it behind me. Thank you for listening. And so that you don't miss an episode of Kaya's journey from Dimensions the Awakening, then please follow the podcast K. Arwin Dimensions the Book Series. And for more information on the author, check out kayamia.co.uk. Until next time, I leave you with some Atlantean light language. Oh, yeah.